You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. On August 21st, 2017, we're going dark, or at least 71% dark here in Manhattan, according to my notes. The reason, in case you don't know, is we're going to be having a solar eclipse. On today's show, John Harris and I will be joined by our comrades in arms and lenses, Todd Vorenkamp and Christopher Witt, and we'll be talking about the best places to see the eclipse as it sashays across the United States, the safest ways to watch the eclipse, the best camera gear to photograph the eclipse, along with a few tips on how to get the best results from your gear. In the second half of our show, we'll be joined by Professor of Physics and Astronomy, Tyler Nordgren, and Dr. Laura Petacolis, a senior fellow at the Space Sciences Laboratory at the University of California, Berkeley, and Director of Multiverse, the Space Sciences Laboratory's education group. Tyler and Laura will offer their expert opinions on viewing the eclipse, and Laura will discuss the Mega Movie Project, which is being produced in affiliation with Google, and will capture the eclipse from coast to coast. Before we flip the switch, a short plug for our show, which can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Android. Subscribing to the show on any of these platforms is the best way to enjoy and to support our show, and it's absolutely free. Also, if you haven't already done so, visit our landing page, www.bhphotovideo/explorer/podcast, where you can find all of our past shows with additional text and photos to go along with each episode. All right, now, in recognition of the millions of people who will be viewing the solar eclipse in August, Al's Gearhead Pick of the Week provides one way to view it safely. The Mead 10x50 Eclipse View Binoculars with Solar Filters. These feature BK7 Poro Prisms, removable white light solar filters. They could be used for conventional or solar viewing, which means you could use them after the eclipse and before. They have large rubberized center focus wheel, anti-reflection, coated optics. It's tripod mountable with an optional adapter and has fold-down rubber eye cups. Last but not least, slip-resistant rubber armoring. Mm. Fold-down type. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a great, it's a great uh, uh, inexpensive. I think it was like fifty bucks or something bucks, like that. Yeah. Something yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's great, and, and also you have yourself a nice pair of binoculars uh, before and after the big show. What's really nice about those is that the large objectives and the magnification gives you a really wide exit pupil. So during the nighttime, and especially during the eclipse, when it's moving towards totality, it, the light will completely cover your eye so you won't have any vignetting or any like any interference with the views of it so you have a really great exit pupil is there anything else besides the filters that make this specific to uh, an eclipse no the filters are what makes it useful for the eclipse and general solar viewing the what makes the exit pupil important is that as it gets dark out your pupils dilate and get bigger so if you have a small exit pupil the light coming through the binoculars won't cover your dilated pupil, and you won't be able to see the entire scene. So when at night, if you're using it for astronomy, regular conventional astronomy at night, you want an exit pupil that's going to 
completely cover your fully dilated pupil. Cool. And, but most important, you your optic nerve won't burst into flames okay. if you should look. Cool. That's the other part. Most importantly. <laughs> most important. <laughs> well, we've already heard from Chris. <laughs> Welcome, Chris. Hello. <laughs> Christopher Witt is the senior technical writer for optics at B&H. He has over 20 years experience as an outdoor enthusiast, nature watcher, and amateur astronomer, as you can already tell. And if you need to know anything about binoculars or telescopes, he is your go-to guy. Also joining us today is our podcast veteran, senior creative content writer here at Explorer, Todd Vorenkamp. A photographic artist for 30 years, Todd has a Master of Fine Arts from the Academy of Art University and is a former U.S. Navy and Coast Guard helicopter aviator and a licensed merchant marine officer. Um, you might have noticed if you ever here in the morning or afternoon on West 35th Street, a hovercraft coming down the street. Okay, that's Todd. Okay, he's good. <laughs> or the <laughs> cyclist that's yelling at you because you're doing something <laughs> yes, wrong. Yeah. Hovercraft or bicycle, that's going to be taught. Uh, I find, mix it up. <laughs> you can find his writing and photography at B&H Explorer and on his personal website, which is www.trvphoto.com. Let's start with Chris. Uh, tell us some of the basic facts of the eclipse and uh, how do you recommend viewing it? Well, as you said earlier at the top of the show, it's going to happen on August 21st of this year. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be transversing the entire... That's Monday, just FYI. Uh, Monday. Yeah. It's going to be traversing Take the, the entire off. country yeah. <laughs> from coast to coast. And so it's... Starting on which side? West coast? West or coast. coast. Starts west coast. West okay. coast and heading east, southeast specifically. Uh -huh. So it's going through, I think, seven or eight states completely or partially. And that's where the path of totality will be occurring. That's where... 100% solar eclipse will be occurring. Outside of that, everyone that lives in North America, well, United States, lower Canada, upper Mexico, are going to be seeing a partial eclipse of some sort. And where you are in relation to that path of totality will dictate how much obscuration you'll be seeing. And, and from what I looked at the map, it's kind of... The it really is cutting through the center of the country. It is, yeah. So the center of the country, you're going to see more. The further north, further south, you're going to see less. Yeah, it's basically going from Oregon, diagonally to South Carolina. Mm -hmm. so, with a slight curve. With a slight curve. Yeah. I've lived, I've survived two eclipses um, <laughs> over my years. Um, I, I don't think I've ever been in a total solar eclipse. How dark does it actually get? It gets like nighttime. You'll be able to see planets and stars when you normally wouldn't. Even when you're not in the full totality? No, anyone out of path of totality, it will get sort of twilight, yeah. twilight-ish. Yeah, it's an interesting light because people think it's like a, like a sunset or something like that, but it's really not. The, the color temperature doesn't change, the shadows don't change, it just gets dim. It gets dim. It's real weird, it's yeah, a very it, strange. Yeah, it's like there's no golden hour, there's no twilight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like someone's turning a dimmer switch down on the world right. for a period of time. Yep. So, you know, it's not go outside five minutes beforehand, take a look, and then go back inside. It's a, it's a big event that bring long chairs and, right, right. and stuff. And, Hot dogs. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to get this later, but we're, because we're here, where are the big parties? I mean, I, I know it's going to be passed through a few or close to a few major cities, and I know people are going to some cities and hotels are sold out, and there's going to be yeah. events everywhere it goes, but what, which, is there any one or two places that are going to be uh, I don't think draw? that there's really like 
a destination spot, mm -hmm. a single destination city that you need to be in. Mm -hmm. Basically, anywhere that you're in a path of totality is going to be a party. Yeah. And I mean that in a very literal sense. It's going to be cars mm -hmm. honking horns sure. and people going crazy and Catching champagne dogs. being right. popped and right. the whole nine. Right, right. Well, For, from a practical standpoint, just outside of Nashville, sort of between Nashville and St. Louis, there's going to be the longest duration of the eclipse, which is two minutes, 40.1 seconds. And you got the point one in there. Yes, like I'm very specific mm -hmm. with my stats. Mm -hmm. So that's where the greatest duration of the eclipse is going to be. So if there is a sweet spot, if there's someplace that you need to be, then I would say that's it. It's about 100 miles outside of Nashville. And just to just to kind of double to throw this out there, B&H, and I'm sure many other sites, but B&H has a, you can just Google B&H and Eclipse, and I'm sure you're going to come up with a map. It's up there. Right. So take a look. Um, I mean, I would, you, Chris has a pretty nice list here of, of cities that it's going to be near the path of totality. I'm going to read off a few. Redmond, Oregon, Stanley, Idaho, Troy, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, East St. Louis, Illinois, Blue Ridge, Dillard, Georgia, Lexington, South Carolina. The uh, the eclipse is passing directly over Jackson Hole Airport in the right in the uh, heart of the Grand Teton. Mm. So if you want to have some beautiful scenery to look at before and after the eclipse, that's a good place to go. If and if you're going to be in South Carolina, my brother and sister-in-law live there, and I could put in a word for any of our listeners who need a place to stay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fern, dogfish. Just giving you a warning. Okay, you might be getting some calls. Yeah. Anyway, and what about what about for New York? I mean, what's going on here? Well, for New York, we're going to get seventy-one percent obscuration, which is still pretty good. It's anything, and I can't stress this enough, unless it's the actual couple minutes during totality, you need to be wearing some kind of ISO certified protective eye gear for looking at the sun, even during a partial eclipse, especially during a partial eclipse when you think, wow, it's really dim out. It looks like I can look at it, and then all of a sudden you're blind. <laughs> Is it safe to assume that standard regulation sunglasses are not sufficient for looking at? That's right. Uh, yes. Okay. That's right. How yeah. about if you wear three pair? <laughs> no. Still <laughs> okay. probably not. Yeah. What so, about, and, and seriously, what about neutral density filters? Say you have some, your photographer has neutral density filters, two, three, four stops. Where do we start with that? I can, so Todd, take over. If you look at I thought the, this is my portion of the show. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, well, yeah. <laughs> now we're, now we'll we're hijacking Russell. each we'll other. Yeah. All right. I see how this exactly. is going. Yeah. So um, most official organizations say do not use a neutral density filter for photographing the sun. However, there are a lot of new there are a lot of new filter companies that are making neutral density filters that are strong enough to do solar photography. The big asterisks next to the, next to this is you're going to only use those new ND filters with an electronic viewfinder or live view on your camera. You're not going to actually look at the sun. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't read this, but my theory is it's not blocking the damaging wavelengths. Mm, that's from right. Your you might eyes. be able to stare yeah. at it, but there's stuff that we can't see that's still getting. Yep. Yeah, the, that's so, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. These ISO certified glasses that we <laughs> that I have handed out to the to the studio here for us to look through. Hold one up to the camera. Oh, hold on. Let me get that. <laughs> So it's great radio, boys and girls. <laughs> on the back of the glasses, it clearly states that these are ISO certified for viewing the sun with your naked eye. So to your point, using a neutral density filter, it's not going to block the UV and IR radiation, which is what's really going to do the damage if you look at the sun with the naked eye. 
the photoreceptors of your of your eye don't have pain sensors. So you can look at it and kind of blow out your retina, but the damage is done by the radiation, the ultraviolet and UV radiation. A neutral density filter is not going to have a UV and IR block on it. The Let me just jump in here with that because there's so many times we've kind of glanced up the sun and we squint and we do like that. How come we're not getting that damage at that time? Because it's a split second. It's just so yeah. there is the kind and, of and a your time eyes automatically there. blink. Your right. eyes technically you probably are. Like if you're if you're an outfielder and you're chasing a fly ball and it goes right through the sun, you you know you mm-hmm. don't blind yourself, but you're right. probably done. In that fraction of a second, you've done some sort of damage. All right, Chris, let's talk a little bit about you know your kind of specialty. How if you want to view it, and we're not just. I mean, obviously, let's be clear. Be safe. Don't look at the sun. Yeah. Wear your glasses. Yeah. Special glasses that you need to buy. But if you were taking it to the next level. If you want to use a telescope, and there's other ways to view it, why don't you kind of give us a little breakdown? Well, there's going to be two ways of looking at the sun and observing the solar eclipse. So the most popular way, and it's going to be the way that I'd say 80 to 90% of people observing this, of the 350 million people in the United States that are going to be looking at part of this eclipse, is white light. And that's basically broadband viewing. So think of filtering out about 99.999% of the sunlight and just leaving a little sliver that you can see. And it's going to be across all wavelengths. So the whole Roy G. Biv thing, that's what you're going to be seeing. You're not going to see a lot of detail. It's basically going to look like a white or maybe a orangish disc. You Depending on if you have a magnif- magnified optics of some sort, mm-hmm. you might be able to see sunspots, that kind of thing. So typically, you're going to be using a white light filter, which is just blocking out most of the visible light, all of the ultraviolet on one end of the spectrum, and all of the infrared on the other end of the spectrum. And that's a filter you would buy for your telescope. It's a filter you'd buy for your telescope. For It's going to be the, the sunglasses that you buy specifically for solar viewing. It's generally going to be a Mylar film, not dissimilar from the Mylar balloons, mm-hmm. but these are, it's a special kind of Mylar that is ISO certified, and it's, it looks just like a crinkly film, and it's stretched between a housing or some kind of ring. ring. It will most likely, it'll have wrinkles in it. That's typical. It's not a defect. It's, what that does is it stops it from ripping because it gives it a little bit of play. Some people will say that that those crinkles will help add contrast and will improve the view. It's important, though, if you're using one of these film filters, that before you stare directly at the sun, you want to make sure that there are no pinholes in it, that it's not ripped. Because, again, if you throw those glasses on and look through look through them to look at the sun, or you put it on a 10 by 50 binocular and go right at the sun, you're putting all that sunlight right into your eye. That's a laser at that point. That's exactly right. So you want to make sure that your filter is clean, that your filter is not defective, that doesn't have any pinholes. So you just want to hold it up to a light bulb and get pretty close to the light bulb and you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to discern it through the filter. But more importantly, you'll be able to see bright little pinpoints. If you see those pinpoints, throw them away, get another pair. Now, how much do one of these cost? And I'm assuming B&H is selling them. We, we sell, places, yeah. everyone is making them. Um, 
most of the solar gear that we sell will will include at least one pair of these just as a free gift. Oh, you're talking about the glasses. Yeah, I was the, talking about more of the filters. Like, I guess it depends on the size, of course. But uh, The filters, like we were talking about the binoculars at the top of the show, those come with removable solar filters. You can get paper ones that come in a uh, flat package that you basically set, fold together to make a ring. And those will be $12, $13. And throw them on any pair of binoculars up to probably 50, 60 millimeter objective size, throw a rubber band around them to hold them in place and you're fine. You can get metal ones, uh, metal rings with glass filters. That'll run you 50 bucks. But those are a little bit better. They won't be prone to ripping. They might give you a little better views. Okay. Now, uh, taking us to the next step here, narrow band viewing? Narrow band, Yes. What a narrowband filter does is it looks at a very specific wavelength, not much more than a few atoms wide. And since hydrogen makes up the most of the sun, the most popular is in the hydrogen wavelength. And what a hydrogen filter does is it takes everything out except for a very super narrow band and just lets, lets that pass through. Those filters you can get for astronomical telescopes that you can add on to them. You can get ones that are built with the filter built into the telescope. You can get them for cameras. Todd and I are going out and doing some solar photography tomorrow with a hydrogen alpha filter specifically for Nikon cameras. Mm -hmm. And what's the advantage of that? It reveals a lot more detail than you would normally see. So if you think of a picture of the sun where you see the prominences shooting out into space, you see all that granulation, the, the surface wrinkles and stuff like that, that's all been taken with most likely a hydrogen alpha filter matted, set up in, in after uh, post-production and manipulated. But those pictures, those really awesome shots of the sun with the flares and everything, those are done with narrowband filters because you need to filter. The problem with the sun is that you have too much light, so you need to filter out as much as possible. So doing a narrowband filter really allows you to target a very specific wavelength and a very specific band in that wavelength to really show all the detail. When we're down here, uh, on, we, we have what's called 5,600 degrees you know, daylight. We, the visual spectrum is what, three something to 800 something nanometers or something. Mm -hmm. How does that relate to when you're photo actually photographing the sun? Is it the same color space? I mean, how does that, all that work? Whereas well, the hydrogen alpha band is red. Okay. So it's going to be in the 800s. Okay. All right. So basically you can get white light filters for spotting scopes, binoculars, glasses just for your naked eyes. And these will go right onto the top of any conventional telescope, binocular spotting scope. The targeted wavelength will similarly work similarly. They go usually in the back of the telescope, but and they don't make them for, for spotting scopes or binoculars. It's really just telescopes and this one so that this works. Is, this is for people who are getting really into it or yeah the, the it. camera quark that will be from day to day star filters that we'll be using tomorrow runs fifteen hundred dollars yeah 
So, and that's just Not before for the casual observer. No, and that's that's before you <laughs> even get the lens in the body, just for the filter. So, this is all for looking at the sun. If you want to automatically track the sun, if you're planning on setting up a rig, you can do any any binocular that has a tripod mount on it with a simple adapter. You can put it on just about any photo tripod. You would probably want one with a control handle, something a pan tilt, a fluid head, so you can track easily. You can do um, go-to mounts that are really popular these days that have automatic tracking, alignment procedures, and stuff like that. Most go-to mounts will offer solar tracking as a speed because the sun moves fairly quickly. The sun moves at a different rate than the moon does because the moon is so close. Mm -hmm. Deep sky objects move at a slower rate because they're much further away. So most go-to mounts will have solar rate as an option. It will not have the sun as a easily findable object for the obvious safety reasons. So if you have a go-to mount, you need to read, this, read the instructions. And generally somewhere in the setup or settings menu, there will be an option to enable the sun as a findable object and enable solar tracking just as another level of safety to make sure that your kid doesn't go out there, accidentally hit the sun and blow his eyes out. Mm. Yeah. I guess we should stress again the fact that, you know, this you got to be careful about this. This is not just, you know, you don't just go to the picnic and, and stare up at this thing. I mean... No, there... Or yeah. point a telescope or, or binoculars. A telescope or or, or, yeah, 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 there's... there's so yeah. what will you be doing? What are you going to do specifically on the day of? I've been thinking about this for a <laughs> year now. Um, I recently got the Skywatcher Virtuoso from, from B&H. And this has a tabletop mount that I'm going to put on my picnic table outside, right on my back patio. It has, I have the SynScan controller, which is an option that you can get uh, afterwards. It's not offered in the package that we sell, but you can get it from the manufacturer. And by the time the solar eclipse comes, we might be selling it. That will have the sun. Maybe the day after. Probably the day after. <laughs> uh, it has the sun as an object. On special. <laughs> On special. <laughs> it has the sun and solar tracking capabilities, but most importantly, the telescope itself comes with a, with a white light solar filter. So I'm going to be outside. I'll, if I can get my Carson hookups to work correctly with my eyepiece, I'll probably be digiscoping through the eyepiece that way, I don't have to be hunched over my telescope. I can just look at it through my phone, snap some pictures, take some video, post to social media, that kind of thing. But most importantly, I want to be watching it. I don't want to be worrying about... Now, are you buying special glasses or are you just going to use these kinds? The kinds that we have here, just uh, so people know, are they look like the old 3D glasses you get in the movie theater. That's they're exactly just, right. They're just cardboard... With obviously with the ISO, they're well perforated filters. though. When I yes. the folds are very well very done. Nice. Yes, they very are. nicely done. But you have, I guess, a, a pair that's a little more. Legit. I have uh, a Lunt six by thirty solar binocular. Oh, I think they binocular. call them sunoculars, uh -huh. and they are excellent. They give a little bit of magnification versus a regular solar glass, like we're using here. Gives you some magnification. The objectives are small enough that you can easily hold them with one hand. And that's what I'm going to be doing for probably majority of the beginning of the partial eclipse. And then 
the back end of it. Mm-hmm. For the middle part, where it's going to be the biggest obscuration, I'll be looking through the telescope. Cool. Is there a way of actually programming one of these advanced telescopes to do just the entire tracking so you could just set it up and then just enjoy the show in, yep. real, in real time? Yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah, okay. All right. And let's say you're not as advanced as you are and you're not going to be in your backyard or you don't have a backyard. What would you advise people to do? I mean, are there going to be... I don't know, astronomy clubs having viewing parties or things like that, do you know about? Most astronomy clubs, and there are probably more than you think out there. It's a huge hobby. and mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the people who are in astronomy clubs love to talk about astronomy, love to talk about their astronomy clubs, love to talk about their gear, and love to share their gear. And love to have people say, take a look. That's Come. exactly right. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's very social. Yeah. So I would say contact, if you're in the path of totality, if you're going to be in Nashville, if you're going to be anywhere near that mile, two mile wide path of totality, contact your local chamber of commerce, check out local astronomy clubs. They will be doing something. Universities, I'm sure. There's, there will be no shortage of things to do if you're in the path of totality. Outside of that, I would definitely recommend talking to local astronomy clubs. I know that Long Island Astronomical Society We'll probably be holding events. Back in 74, I remember we, we were in Central Park and a lot of people had telescopes. It was just all over the place. We had a choice of them. It was really kind yeah. of a lot of fun. Right. Question, say somebody, say, say one of our listeners does not have a telescope. They're not going to be buying one, but they do have photographic gear. What focal length lens would you recommend for photographing it with a conventional camera system? Depends on how much of the corona you want to capture. And if, okay, what, and the corona so, is? The corona, it's not a beer. We're not, we're the corona is this not a beer. commercial. No. Nope. Okay. <laughs> the corona is the outer area of the sun that's invisible at all times except during a total eclipse. And the, like the, the sun is a, a ball of fire. The, mm-hmm. the flames extend past the surface. So when the, there's a total solar eclipse, you can see the corona. Okay. Um, also called the ring of fire, I think, or is that something different? That was during an annual eclipse where the moon is farther from the earth. Ah. It does not cover the entire sun mm-hmm. at the point, uh, at the uh, maximum point of the eclipse. So you get a ring, uh, like a, a literally a perfect ring around the moon. Gotcha. Okay. But this eclipse is going to be a total eclipse where the moon is closer to earth and it's going to block out the entire sun, except for the corona. The great thing about the eclipse, you can use almost any type of camera that you have, including your cell phone, um, the results will vary. So I would say the best rig to get the best eclipse photos is a DSLR or mirrorless camera with a long telephoto. How long would you want to go? I would go at least 300 millimeters. Okay. On uh, APS-C, the, th- the crop factor is going to make that a 450 millimeter mm-hmm. lens. That's going to make the the sun a fairly good size in the frame, and then you'll be able to capture all the corona. Um, for point of reference, if you want to test your gear without pointing at the sun, point your camera at the moon. That's the a su- good idea to sun, test it, yes. Because of our cool uh, solar system, the sun and the moon are about are almost identically sized in the night and day sky. Hmm. So a lot of people, you think the, moon, the sun is huge because it's like a massive point of light. It's actually the ball of it is this literally the same size of the sun. And I, this is something Chris or, wanted to mention earlier, yeah. sorry to cut off, but practicing ahead yeah. of time is something that will definitely yeah. be to your advantage yeah. when the day comes, right? <clears throat> I'll, I'll, yeah, I can jump to that. Like, don't think that you're going to be good at solar photography right out of the box. I mean, it's 
The sun is bright. It's challenging to aim your camera because you can't look directly at the sun to and aim it. And it's moving fast. It's moving fast. If you have an extreme telephoto lens, you have a very small target in a bright white area. So, I mean, it's it's tricky stuff. So you have to practice, practice, practice. Because what you don't want to do is on the day of the eclipse, have brand new gear and say like, oh, I'm going to just figure this out while I go. Because I'm practicing when, every weekend to yeah. make sure that I know exactly how my telescope likes to be set up and how the mount works, how accurate the mount is for tracking so that I can, on the day of the event, everything was going to be second nature. I don't want to be surprised at all. I want to be able to enjoy the eclipse. I know I once did a series on the full moon with a 500 millimeter lens. And it's pretty impressive how fast, once you get the moon in focus, it just sort of slips off the frame. Right. So yeah, you you do need to practice because yeah. again, you're not dealing with a sitting target. It's moving. I've done a lot of lunar photography and that's challenging. The sun is like a whole nother ballgame because of the, the problems of aiming. Now, is there yeah. any issues so. with the sensor of your camera? So the next thing you're going to need for whatever camera you use. Borrow your friends to do this. <laughs> right, borrow your, <laughs> borrow your friends and make sure he doesn't want it back. Um, <laughs> No, you need a solar filter, and usually, like, it's a screw-on filter that goes in the front of the lens, um, or a mylar filter, or even people use uh, number fourteen welding glass sheets. They put that in front of the lens, things like that. So there's there's different concoctions to do it, but you need to protect the lens, and you need to protect your sensor. We did it. We tried to debunk the myth. I pointed a camera at the sun a few week, uh, a couple months ago here at B and H, and we did, could not damage the sensor. Having said that. That was one camera on one day in New York City. Your sun might be different. Your camera might be different. Your sun may vary. Well, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> like, going to be in August. Yeah, it's going to be August. Might be, February. you know, so I don't take any chances. Uh, oh, by the way, if you point an unfiltered camera at the sun, you might not destroy the camera, but your photo is going to be all white. And, you know, like mm-hmm. you can't get a photo of that, right? Yeah. You got to dim the the sun. So... And you can't fake it in Photoshop. No, you can't. You're not going to be able to pull pull highlight detail out of that white frame. (laughs) Um, You can use a point and shoot. Like I I imagine a lot of people that have that Nikon P900 with the 2000 millimeter equivalent lens are going to put a filter on the front of that and do some really cool stuff. uh, One of the things I found, I don't know if it's the same thing, but I found with an older generation P, it might have been a P500 or so, Mm -hmm. I was getting... um, a lot of lines, whenever I had pointer light sources in there, I was getting all kinds of strange uh, uh, digital artifacts happening. And I don't know if it's been corrected yet, but that m- could be an issue with some of the point-and-shoot cameras yeah. where because of the small size of the sensor, the rays might just start doing weird things in the uh, image. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've not done it. Yeah, Again, that's would, the whole thing. Don't, don't buy and go out you know, on, on, yeah. on that day. The, well, sun, the sun is going to be in the sky before the day of the eclipse, so you yes. can, there's plenty of time to practice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that works. Yeah. And we what verif- about I mean, for all those folks before. that are going to be like grabbing their phone at the last minute and yeah. throwing it up there? And you can do that. It's, the other thing to notice is during totality, you don't want a filter on your camera because it's going to be dark. It's going to be basically going to do a night photo. So mm-hmm. you can point anything, any type of camera at the total eclipse and take a photo. How big that sun and moon are in the frame is depending on what your focal length is. On a, right. on a mm-hmm. cell phone, it's going to be pretty darn tiny. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I have a question that I think I know the answer to, but okay. I'd rather... Are you testing me? I am, maybe a little <laughs> bit. For five dollars, <laughs> how how well will autofocus work with these mylar films when Ooh, you're trying to yeah, photograph that's a the very sun? Good question. That that is a good question. I've actually all all the times I've done solar photography, I've done it manual focus. I would imagine. I, I think it'll probably work fine. 
with a couple, I'll say this. So when you put a Mylar or a solar filter on your, on your camera, you get a very crisp disc. The ball of the sun is a disc. So if you put a focus sensor on the edge of the sun, it should, the autofocus should work. I don't see why. Why would, would you even need yeah, autofocus? Wouldn't it make more yeah. sense to just, just shut that? There are times when you turn off autofocus. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is infinity. You know, we're yeah. kind of at a no, fixed you, distance you, here right yeah, now, but, you are, but, <laughs> but a lot of weird things could happen because of the fact right. you're dealing with the, the nature of the subject, we, your focus could start just sure. playing around. A lot sure. of people recommend targeting your camera a day or two before the eclipse, putting gaffer tape on the focus ring so you can't adjust the focus and, and leaving it there. Um, not very many lenses these days have hard stops at infinity, so yeah, you're gonna, say, don't trust some infinity slop, at know? all. Right. Um, I would be. You can try autofocus. If it doesn't work, just go manual. You know. And, yeah. So what are you going to be doing on that day, and what, what's your gear setup going to be? My plan is to go to Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a 50% chance of clouds, so let's all every all are the listeners. Are you really looking at advanced? Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, <laughs> really the six You're month looking forecast to now. weather forecast. <laughs> um, well, he one got of the, the farmer's almanac, yeah, the, and that thing is <laughs> spot on yeah. always. And actually, people are using the farmer's almanac to plan their trip to, for the eclipse because, like, uh, the Grand Tetons is a 20% chance of clouds. Nashville's a 50% chance, so hedge your bets. You know, where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. um, so you went to the worst spot that you could go. I went to a coin toss cloudy spot. So <laughs> let's hope it's not what cloudy. What you're saying is the airfares were cheaper there. You get a lot more from Nashville afterwards. That's true. You can have barbecue if it's Part of me wishes I went, cloudy. went to a more scenic destination. Not that Nashville's not, but uh, the good news is my hotel is at the airport in the path of totality. So I literally can just walk out into the hotel parking lot and do the photos. So if the traffic is nuts that day, which it will or, be, which it will be, or if there's clouds to the West or East, I can just, and what, what are you going to, what are you going to have? What are you going to be shooting with? So right now I have a, a Nikon four or 300 millimeter F4 lens that I'm planning on using. It's portable. It's lightweight. I'll get, uh, the sun will be a good size in the frame and I'll get the Corona. That's my plan. I have uh, a couple white light filters. That I can play with. You bring the um, spotting scope. I probably won't bring the spotting scope because uh, I have a, a Leica Televid seventy-seven that gets me out to the equivalent of fifteen hundred millimeters, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the sun would basically fill the frame. That's too so, long, really. Yeah, it, it's tough to it's tough to aim. Um, I might bring. I don't know. I haven't figured. I haven't finalized my plans, but yeah, I'd. I can't what's, man. What's I can't basic, man two cannons at the same the, time. What's the enthusiast <laughs> photographer who has a DSLR and yeah. a, let's say a seventy two hundred? What what do they need in order to make this happen? A solar filter. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and, and even like if you and have a, a if you have a Nikon D fifty five hundred or a Canon Rebel and a seventy to three hundred or a seventy five to three hundred lens, mm -hmm. you're pretty good at that three hundred lens. And what about the, what about your exposure settings? It, it depends. You have to change from. Throughout, yeah. right? The the uh, I've photographed one eclipse in my life, and it was a partial, and it was through clouds. So I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm not a proven expert. But uh, <laughs> Fred Espinak, who's Mister Eclipse, has an exposure table, and it basically gives you an exposure for um, the different parts of the eclipse, like the uh, Bailey's beads, the uh, golden or the diamond ring phase, and then totality. And he shows different um, exposures for different regions of the corona. So what most people do and most people say to do is just bracket the heck out of your images. Have your camera aimed, start shooting, and roll through different... So if um, you have auto, an auto-bracketing feature on your yeah. camera, this is a good time to use yep. it. Yep. If, if you've never used that before, this 
practice with it. And, uh, <laughs> and what yeah, about do, like, uh, film photography? Is there any advantages or disadvantages or any thoughts on that? Um, the disadvantages, you won't know if That's you got true. it until yeah. the next day. The, right. the advantages, you can tell people you shot on film. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, one, one last question that I have uh, as far as gear. Would a fluid head make more sense on a tripod than a traditional, say, uh, tilt shift or ball head in this case? I think I think right? so, depending on the size of your lens. Uh-huh. Uh, if, I mean, if you have a monster telephoto, you're going to want a gimbal lens. Get, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But if you have a, a kit lens or a you know that 300 f4, I have a fluid head that I use on a spotting scope. That might be my head for that day because uh, yeah, I'll that, be able to yeah, that, that would track make it a little more smoothly. To me, just a, yeah. yeah, just a, are you or, planning on bringing a tripod? Yes, I'm definitely going to bring a tripod. You you want to have a tripod with you. you the entire eclipse takes three three to four hours from the partial phases through totality and back through partial. So if you want to hold your camera that whole time and keep it pointed, that's fine. That's but if, really zen. That yeah, really is. Um, during totality, it's dark, so it's gonna you're going to be doing night photography, and it's if you don't have a um, you're gonna if you don't have a, t- a tripod, you're going to have to crank the ISO way up, and good luck, you know. Yeah. Could be a really nice blurry photo of the total eclipse because you didn't bring your tripod. But uh, Instagram's gonna blow up that day, right? It's yeah, I can yeah, I'm sure there's gonna be a few yeah. hot hashtags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I might cool. bring a tra- I might get a um put a tracking mount on a, my tripod and just let the camera track it automatically and just shoot it with a trigger while I look at it through glasses. That's what I'm gonna say. You're gonna yeah. have your, what, let's say you do you need your glasses on while you're establishing your your frame. You definitely need it for aiming because yeah. you're, I mean, like you. Even with a filter. Yeah. Put a filter on your camera. If you try to aim the camera without gl- eclipse glasses, you're going to be looking at a very bright sky. And it's, I mean, it, it, your, your eye, your, your body keeps you from staring at the sun. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's a reaction. There's something you can't, primal. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a mechanism yeah. we have yeah. to yes. protect it's, us. It's yes. hardwired into us that so we can't. Yep. So. It's the, like when you touch something really hard. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't hang Except out. that this is a nuclear fission <laughs> reaction that you're looking yeah. at. So, yes. you know, that's, yeah. look, it's touching yeah. the oven to the, the nth degree. The, the, the challenging thing is you want to, you point the camera generally in that direction. You put the eclipse glasses on, you can see the, then you can see the sun, but you can't see your camera. So you're bouncing back and forth. I mean, it, it is challenging. There's, there's really no, the, the, the other solution is you just look through your electronic viewfinder, your optical viewfinder through a, through a filtered uh, optic, or and start tether, and or start tethered to a right. laptop, or your or yeah. a tablet, or something, and, and start use that, and just start moving the camera around in that yeah. general direction until you find it. But it's it's a relatively small target mm-hmm. in a big sky, so yeah, it's tough. It's it's really not uh, not easy. So. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we return. We're going to be speaking with Tyler Nordgren. Tyler is not so sure that photographing the eclipse is the best way to enjoy the spectacle. Stay tuned. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. We are back, and we're with Dr. Tyler Nordgren, who is a full professor of physics and astronomy at the University of Redlands, and he's also a respected night sky photographer. Tyler has written on subjects such as dark matter and galaxies and star pulsation. He was part of the design team that created Mars dials that are onboard NASA's Spirit, Opportunity, and Curiosity Mars rovers. He has also worked with the National Park Service to promote astronomy education and is the author of the 2010 book, Star 
stars above, earth below, a guide to astronomy in the national parks. Finally, he has designed some beautiful poster art to commemorate the 2017 eclipse. Check it out at tylernordrin.com. We'll give you that address at the end as well. Welcome, Tyler. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you. Rumor has it that you are here to advise us not to photograph the eclipse. Okay, tell us about that. Well, I have to admit, if you have never seen a total solar eclipse before, the word that I'm telling everyone is see your first one, photograph your second one. I get that. I get that. I really, really do. Is that really feasible this in this day and age, though? I mean, where everyone is snapping and sharing and oversharing? Well, okay, to be realistic, <laughs> how, yes. Yeah, how, how, do you get, how, how do you really emphasize that to people? I tell people about what the experience is like to actually see a total solar eclipse. It is, it's unlike anything that you've ever experienced before. And odds are, for the average person, there's going to be somebody else photographing it who is a much better photographer yeah. than you are. And those <laughs> photographs are going to be all over the internet. So just get one of those. So Tyler, you, I, one of your your new book is um, Sun, Moon, Earth, The History of Solar Eclipses from Omens of Doom to Einstein and Exoplanets. And you mentioned the uh, your experience with the 1979 eclipse. So I was wondering if you could uh, tell that to our audience here. Yeah, I was nine years old back in 1979, living in Portland, Oregon, and that was the last total solar eclipse to go over the continental U.S., and it just it went right over my house. And I, I was already interested in astronomy at that point, uh, but for some reason, all of the news media, everything had me absolutely terrified, and I thought for sure from what I was hearing that if I accidentally looked at the sun during a total solar eclipse, I'd burn my eyes out. So my my first <laughs> eclipse experience is actually sitting in a darkened house with all the curtains drawn, watching it on TV. I even <laughs> photographed it off the TV set with my little plastic camera. What were your parents doing? Were they outside <laughs> what, what? watching the sun, wondering why you were in the basement? <laughs> they, uh, I mean, they were at work. So, uh, it, it turns out my school had canceled classes that morning because, I don't know, legal reasons. And this is something that's still going on. And I'm part of a task force where we're trying to work with with schools and people to say, look, you don't have to be afraid. These things aren't dangerous. Uh, what are some of your recommendations the to kids in schools? Because that was also a topic that came up that schools have to deal with this. So how are you um, coaching them? So one of the things we're letting folks know about is that simple little eclipse glasses, those little $1 cardboard glasses with the special silver filters they're cheap. They're inexpensive. And you know, if you think about all the other safety things we have kids do at school, like football pads and helmets and, and things, this is far, far cheaper, these little glasses. And if you use these when there's a partial eclipse, it's utterly safe. And if you happen to be in that path of totality, the instant the eclipse becomes total and the sun disappears fully behind the moon, it's perfectly safe. It's no brighter than the full moon at that point. So there, there's nothing to be afraid of here if you just use some common sense. Do you anticipate the uh, news outlets being that alarmist as they were back in 79? Because I don't think that they've gotten any less alarmist in yeah, the interceding no, years. And in fact, there was, there was a total solar eclipse down in Australia back in 2012. And uh, the, the media down there got it into their head that the only safe that there was no safe way to view this eclipse and the the local government was putting out the the message of turn away 
And the astronomers and the, the folks who knew better had to try to overrule this and said, no, this is the most amazing experience you can ever have, the most spectacular thing you can see in the sky. Don't turn away. And, and in your dealings right now, uh, what are you seeing? I mean, are, are you getting that kind of uh, false information from people regularly? There, there are some folks out there who've, uh, who've spread the word that, that even solar eclipse safety glasses aren't perfectly 100% safe, and that's not true. Um, but it's, it's one of these issues where for a lot of folks, uh, schools will, all, will still be on summer vacation. Mm -hmm. But for a number of other places, it's going to be the very first day of class. Oh. And Ooh. so the, the oh, issue is, okay, how do you get that, that information out there? And if you're on the East Coast... Uh, the eclipse is happening there in mid-afternoon, and so potentially you're at the point where all the students are are at the school bus or about to leave. So this <laughs> panic, the, the timing isn't perfect. In general, do you think that most people are going to know this is going to be even happening? There, there are astronomers and other folks out there that have been just traveling the countryside, and when when talking to folks like state governments in Missouri and Oregon, the the officials know those folks are aware. And uh, the hoteliers and people operating motels and lodges within the path of totality, their, their places are booked solid. They've been booked solid for, uh, for at least a year. So those people know. But it's getting that word out to the general American public saying, hey, one hour, two hour drive from where you live, there is something phenomenal that's going to happen I know a lot of astronomers, we, we were expecting that at this point, the media would really have picked up on this. But I don't know. I guess the media has been preoccupied with something else going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those Mets, boy, let me tell you. Yeah. Where, are you, where are, you, are you going to be, Tyler? I'm going to be up in eastern Oregon. Uh, you take a look at the weather forecast. There's an astronomer by the name of Jay Anderson. He's uh, up in Canada, works for the, the, the Weather Bureau up there, and he's published these amazing maps going back historically, looking at what the weather at the appropriate time on the appropriate day is for, for places along totality. And really the best places with the highest probability of, of virtually clear skies is out in eastern Oregon, central uh, Idaho. So I've, I've still got family up there in Oregon, so that's where I'm going to be. Am I hosed down in Nashville? <laughs> no, well, okay, you're not completely. And you're, yeah. you're there the mid-afternoon. And so one possibility is, and here's something that's really neat. An eclipse is caused by the, the shadow of the moon, the, the shadow of the moon moving across the U.S. And in that shadow, the temperature drops. And when the temperature drops, it creates its own weather. So oh, yeah. I've, wow. I've been to eclipses where it was completely cloudy. And then as you came on towards totality, the, the heavens just opened up and everything got completely clear. Cool. So it could happen. Right. Interesting. And now uh, you're advising... Not necessarily advising, but I think everyone totally understands your point about enjoy the spectacle. But will you be photographing it, and uh, what's your setup going to be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that laugh. Okay, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably going to take a camera, but what I'm going to do is I'm really going to be interested in just seeing this for myself. So the, the camera that I've got, I've got a, a, a Canon uh, 5D Mark III with a, a very wide-angle lens. Uh, it's about, it's a 15 millimeter. And so this, this get, it's almost a fisheye. And so it's going to be the kind of thing that I just plop down. I'll set the timer on it before totality and let this thing just snap images of the countryside, the people, the, the, the location. And that's going to be the special thing. Are you going to have gonna a solar filter on or anything? Uh, there, there will be a 
I have a, a special filter that I built that I, I bought from Solar Eclipse material that I put into a frame to go over the, the lens. Oh, so you are uh, filtering it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And that's the, that's the thing I, I tell folks too, is that just to be on the safe side, I, I don't want any sun going into the lens of my camera if I wouldn't have it going into the lens of my eye. So during the partial phase, I'll have that filter on. Uh, right when you get to that first diamond ring, and that's that diamond ring is when you get this pinpoint of light from the last little speck of the sun disappearing behind the moon. And so you get one last ray of sunlight traveling down through a lunar valley right there on the edge of the moon. And so you get this pinprick of bright light uh, around a, this black circle with a white ring around it. And at that point, that's your signal that it's safe to take your filter off or you take your, your, your glasses off. So I'll just pop the filter off at that point and, and have the thing photograph away while I'm just looking at the sun. There's folks I've, I've heard of who in previous eclipses didn't realize that during totality, between those two diamond rings, you actually have to take your eclipse glasses off. Those eclipse glasses, they, they dim the sun's light down to a safe level. Well, it's already dimmed to that level during totality. So if you don't take your glasses off or you don't take that filter off your camera, you'll see nothing. Right, right. <laughs> People will be like, I came all the way for this. <laughs> I don't know what the hype was about. Yeah. That was really a lot I didn't down. see nothing. It was, it was boring. So, so can I ask, what? Uh, where would you advise your, you know, your average... Joe, like myself, to, to kind of find information as to where would be a good place to go. Let's say you're a city dweller and you want to get two hours outside of the city. Any, any thoughts on that or any websites you can recommend? Yeah, probably one of the, the best websites out there is greatamericaneclipse.com. That's operated by uh, Michael Zeiler. He's an expert on geographical information system. And he's got these incredible maps that, that show things like uh, the average driving time. Uh, from any location in the U.S. to the path of totality. Can I ask for uh, for people who will not be in, in the path of totality, and let's say in New York where we're at 71%, did you say? Yeah. Will it ever be safe to look at? No. Now, what's the percentage where it is safe? Only it's totality, total? yeah. 100%. The, that's the, the only percentage. So if it's not totality, you're not looking at Okay, got it. You would need glasses. Correct. Yeah, even correct. for an even for an annual eclipse, you probably don't ever take the glasses off. Is that correct, Tyler? That is absolutely correct. Okay, yeah. The only time, the only time, it is safe to to look at it at at the sun without any kind of filter or aid is during totality in that one hundred percent coverage. Can you uh, speak a little bit about what? Uh maybe compare this eclipse with others that you've seen and what makes this one special and, and, and different and even compare it to the one that's scheduled for 2024. The, the thing that's really special about this one is it's going from coast to coast over the United States. Uh, the last time that happened was in 1918. So we're, we're talking 99 years since the U.S. has had a coast to coast total solar eclipse. And it's been 38 years since the last time the continental U.S. even saw one. So the, the really big thing that I'd say that's happening this year is this is the first major continental-wide total solar eclipse in the age of social media. So not only do we have 12 million people just living in that path of totality, we have the millions that are going to be traveling into that totality in addition, and every single one of those people pretty much is probably going to have a camera on their bodies, maybe just in the form of their iPhone, 
But this is going to be the most photographed, the most tweeted, the most shared, the most Instagrammed event in, in human history. So that that right there is going to put this eclipse at the very top of the list of most seen eclipses, most experienced eclipses uh, in human history. To show you how much of a nerd I am, you saying that, I got goosebumps. <laughs> that, that, that this is going to be the most tweet, the most shared and photographed eclipse in human history. Literal Goosebumps. And I thought it's because you were sitting next to me. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. That All ship right. has sailed, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about other countries? Where where does it go from from here? I guess out, out to the Atlantic. And, and, yeah. and that's the other thing that's unusual is unusual about it is totality goes nowhere else. Yeah. It, it starts in the Pacific Ocean. It ends in the Atlantic Ocean. The U.S. is the only country getting totality for this eclipse. It's a fleeting that, moment, really. Yeah. And please, yeah. nobody so make that, a joke. That hasn't even happened <laughs> since, uh, I think, back in 1776, before we were even a country. Wow. That went from shore to shore. How, how many eclipses have you seen, have you traveled to? I've traveled to, uh, let's see, three total solar eclipses. So I'm, I'm a relative newbie uh, in this field. But I saw my first one in 1999. Uh, I was a brand new PhD astronomer. I was at a conference in in Budapest, Hungary, on variable stars, which was my my research at the time. And as in the middle of the the conference, they bust us down to the path of totality for the 1999 eclipse. And after 20 years, it had been 20 years since I that experience as a nine year old. I. I looked up and it 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 changed my life. It the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I I can say I honestly experienced awe at that moment. Did you take a picture of it th- on the TV? <laughs> no. Or, no. Or did you take a so picture in your first one? Okay, so I did photograph it. I I did not follow my own advice. But I, he did not I tweet it. it. He did not tweet it in nineteen. Did not tweet it. Okay. Okay. Cool. But one of the things I'd done is so I, I'm, I was using my camera that I'd had from high school. It was an old Canon AE one program. I had a a two hundred millimeter zoom lens with a two times tele extender on there, and I experimented. I sat down and trained myself. In the months leading up to this, I was using slide film too. In the months leading up to this, I made sure that I could snap photos, change exposure times, do everything without drawing my eye away from the eclipse. Well, that's something we were talking about earlier, just for people to practice ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it because totality only lasts for about two minutes and 40 seconds tops. So that's, we're talking 160 seconds here. You do not want to spend a single moment of that 160 seconds futzing around with uh, the menu on your camera or the focus or, or any of that. Good, good information. Um, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us more insights. Um, and again, for uh, our listeners, you want to check out, the th- um, if you want to check out some of the incredible things that Tyler is up to, you could uh, go to his site. That's tylernordgren.com. Uh, if you can't understand the way I said that, it will be very legible on our website. Just go over to Explorer and uh, on the on the podcast page, and you could uh, catch up on all the stuff about what Tyler's doing, his websites, et cetera. Again, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. And if, if I could, if I may here, I would like to read something. Please. This is from the 1862 total solar eclipse, which was the first to be photographed by Warren Delarue. And here is what he wrote in his scientific paper presenting his photographs after the eclipse. He said, 
When I had once turned my eyes on the moon encircled by the glorious corona, then on the novel and grand spectacle presented by the surrounding landscape, I mentally registered a vow that if a future opportunity ever presented itself for my observing a total eclipse, I would give up all idea of making astronomical observations and devote myself to that full enjoyment of the spectacle, which can only be obtained by the mere gazer. So if that was the first man to ever photograph a total solar eclipse, I want to leave that for your listeners. Wow. Boy, talk about good sign-offs. Thank you so much, man. Okay, thank that's you, it. Show's over. That's it. Okay, Tyler, thank you so much for, for and a great way of ending the uh, this portion. Thank you so much again. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Welcome back. Dr. Laura Petacolis is a senior fellow at the Space Sciences Laboratory at the University of California, Berkeley, and director of Multiverse, the Space Sciences Laboratory's educational group. Laura is an expert on the Earth's aurora, but has turned her attention to education and outreach and has led several NSF and NASA-funded national education programs and is currently leading the Eclipse Mega Movie Project, a crowdsourcing effort to collect and share images across Cross the path of totality during the 2017 total eclipse of the sun in the United States. Welcome, Laura. Uh, please tell us about this mega movie. This sounds pretty interesting. The idea is that the, we have this amazing opportunity um, for the first time ever to have the public provide photographs of a total solar eclipse across an entire hour and a half of a, of the eclipse happening. So this is really, a, it's a once in a life, well, and it, we will have another opportunity in 2024. Um, however, that eclipse will go from kind of up through Texas and Carbondale, Indiana, and all the way up to Canada. So it's not a coast to coast, but more a south to north eclipse. Um, and this is, so we have this amazing opportunity right now and with the kind of cloud technologies to to gather these images and and not only that, but then to share them back out with the public. How are you going to output these? What, what do you have an idea? What kind of form you're going to be doing this in, or are you waiting to see what you get? I'm trying to well, imagine what a film of the eclipse is going to be like. There's so many ways you can do it. Yes, there are many, many ways, and um, we're really starting to narrow down on on what it is we're going to produce. The first thing that we'll produce is a movie from our trained volunteers who will be using DSLR cameras across the entire um, what's called path of totality, which means that uh, the, these folks taking photographs are actually in locations where the moon will completely cover the disk of the sun. And so we'll be able to see the outermost atmosphere of the sun called the corona. Around how many people are involved in this part of the project? Uh, we'll have about a thousand wow, volunteers. Okay. And um, we're, we're getting close to that number. We have about half right now. Do you have um, parameters for the kind of camera that they're using or the lenses that they're using? Is there any standardization for how they're taking the pictures? There is some standardization um, in terms of the resolution of the data and also the um, amount of the sky that we want. And so really people can use a wide variety of types of cameras as well as lenses, but if they if they have a certain megapixel 
camera, then the lens that we would like them to use or the zoom would be a little different. So we have a kind of a calculation for people to use with so that. So what you're really is you're looking for a, a, a lens, no matter what the format is, that takes in a certain uh, angle of view. So there's a little bit of consistency. Is that what you're getting at there? Yes, exactly. That okay. is exactly what I'm getting. Now, this at, is yeah. open to photographers and videographers, or is it only still? We're really focused on the still image, um, in part because when, although movies are incredibly helpful as scientists, um, when we really want to do quantitative analysis, we really want the still. Um, and so, and the more stills we have, the more we can kind of understand what the calibration needed is, and we can um, determine brightnesses and some more quantitative calculations. So one of the only constants that you're going to have is the way I'm seeing this is going to be the sun and the moon and their relationship together. And everything that's going to change based on where you are in the photography is everything else around it. Uh, the surroundings, is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that, that is pretty much correct, which makes it a, a really cool challenge. And our skeptics feel that what we're doing is impossible, of course. Um, and then those, <laughs> <laughs> but our team knows that we can do it and uh, we have a plan for how to do it. And, um, and on top of that, we now have an app that will come out and add to our data. And the more data you have, um, no matter how kind of crude it is, if you have more of it, you can pull kind of this, what's called signal to noise out of many different pieces of data. And so we're really looking to get as much data as we can. What kind of the, data are you pulling from the app? Well, the, the cool thing now about phones is you can actually get... Um, counts per pixel. It used to be that you could only get the, as an output, like a JPEG or a, um, a, an image file, but now you can actually uh, determine how many photons hit a pixel on your camera, on your phone. Can I, can I ask what the, what's the end goal? What's the goal of all, all this data and photo collection just to make the video or is there a scientific purpose? Yeah. So there, there are three I'd say there are three goals. Um, one is scientific. We really want to understand more about the dynamics between what's called the photosphere of the sun, which is that bright disk, and the um, corona, which is out further. Because unlike, say, a flame, which gets uh, cooler as you get away from it, the sun actually gets hotter um, as you leave the bright surface. And why that is, is still an unanswered question. We have good ideas of, that it's connected to magnetism and electricity and um, particle acceleration, but we really need more information. And the, the eclipse provides a really nice, um, what's called white light data from this transition region, the boundary in the, like the part that's going to heat up the corona. Are there any big questions that this is going to answer for some people? Because back in the 30s, I think it was... Einstein's theory of relativity was proven during a solar eclipse, and it was the one thing they needed a solar eclipse to prove or disprove. Gravitational lensing. Thank you, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say are, that. Are there, any, are there any big science questions <laughs> that people, because this is transiting the entire nation and we have so much time to photograph it and gather information about it, that we that this is the perfect opportunity to answer x question well it re 
I think the the X question really is about the heating of the the Corona. Is um, anyone's Nobel Prize on the line for this? Uh. The only Nobel Prize that could be possible, um, although my astrophysics colleagues may scoff at this, <laughs> but, you know, again, <laughs> people scoffed plenty at Einstein's general relativity equations. But so not I to told them to get a day I'm job. Einstein. <laughs> yeah, I'm not claiming any brilliance here, but uh, there, you know, we do have this question of um, both dark matter and dark energy, which, of course, is much, much grander scale in terms of um, kind of galaxy scale and beyond. Um, but just thinking about this question of the gravitational lensing and gravity, we really, there's something we don't understand about gravity. And and who knows, that maybe that there, you know, there's going to be enough data at a high enough resolution that there may be something we can kind of pull out of there. That's, that's is, fascinating. Is, is there a website or a place people can go to? Is, is it, Listeners are listening to this right now. Our, our listeners are getting all excited and they go, okay, where where can I find out more? Where can I go? I want to join up. I want to help out. Where can people go right now? So they can go to our website, absolutely. And it is eclipsemega.movie. Ah, okay. And are you and, still looking uh, for volunteers? So you said you seem to be looking for people still. I don't know. Yes, we are still looking for volunteers. Um, and not only that, but if people, you know, if they don't, if they don't want to sign up and be formal volunteers and be part of our training and be part of the big community that we're building, um, people can also kind of, they can sign in with a Google login to the site. And in, in order to become a volunteer, a trained volunteer, then after you do that step, you need to, um, fill out the, fill out the form on that, on our website. And then there will be a button that says apply. And then to apply, then you have to click on that and um, fill out an application form to be one of our trained volunteers. If you don't do the apply step and you log in with a Google um, sign-in, then at that point, once you've taken your own photos in your own way, we will collect any and all of those that people want to share with us. Now, is this only photographs of, of the eclipse in its totality, or are you also going to be going for the variations and the gradations? Only, only totality. That's ah, correct. okay. And you mentioned uh, Google. How how are they involved? Google is really making this all possible. So they, about two years ago, they got excited about the idea and um, started becoming more and more involved. And at this point, they are um, responsible for hosting the website. Do they, they have that technology? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something about that. <laughs> um, they all, <laughs> they're also uh, responsible for running an algorithm that one of our team members had developed uh, for making the movie, um, which they're refining and updating with some um, interns' uh, support from the Oregon, uh, what is it, Oregon State University, um, some undergraduates from there. And they are also responsible for, on the website, for example, gathering the data and also um, sharing that data out. So we're working on a plan for archiving the data for scientists and the public. When would the movie theoretically be finished? Is it something that's going to be almost right after the fact? Is there that kind of technology involved or is it something that's going to need an editing and it's going to take months and then get together as a final project? Yeah, so we're going to do both. Um, the first the first movie will come out about two hours after the eclipse. 
And well, that's a look, quick turnaround. That's interesting. Quick, okay. Quick turnaround. Tell, uh, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> will that just be raw? Just everyone's raw footage? No, it, there will be processing. So it, all the all the circles will be made the same size. And we're also going to use Regulus, which is a fairly bright star that should be in the field of view for most of the images. We're going to use Regulus to um, rotate the images to be the correct in the correct location. And then, um, so those are the two processes that we'll be using on the, and luckily we're using the Google servers to do all that in real time. Who is going to be doing this, this editing and this compiling? We have a computer algorithm that we have been, um, that we developed a couple of years ago, and now uh, one of the Google team members, Dave, and his interns, he, uh, he's he been doing a great job to and working with our scientists and uh, some computer scientists to um, make some modifications to the algorithm. And that's in GitHub. We're doing everything open source, which basically means it's a public domain uh -huh. so that um, Google doesn't own it. The University of California doesn't own it. We're it really is. We're really working to make sure this is a public project. That was that was my question. And how will people be getting their images to you? Is it FTP or website? There's an or? up. Yeah, the, the, on the website, if you log in, then um, the, there will be shortly a uh, a log uh, uploading feature. Is Google or are you or anybody else actually going to be? starting a large campaign to make people aware of this because we're getting close. And uh, again, this is the first we've heard of it and we've been pretty busy here with Eclipse-related information. So how how is this project going to be put out to the public? Well, we're, we, we've we been working at it. Um, we're, we, we've been doing a tour across the path of totality uh, where we do town halls with the public and with the city and county offices and... Um, many different organizations in many different states and cities. Uh, and we have one more in Nebraska coming up. So that's been kind of our grassroots effort. And then we've been writing articles. Um, we've been reaching... <laughs> doing podcasts. <laughs> doing podcasts, exactly. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> I don't know why you did that. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're doing our best um, to kind of get the word out all, through all our networks. Uh, we've talked about putting ads out in newspapers and... Um, but, you know, and also Google's really good ethically in terms of uh, not... You know, they, they can't promote their own things on the Google search... Um, Ah, right. And so they have. So we, 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 we get to play with all the rest of the world in terms of marketing. And when you do community outreach, like when you do it, host a town hall to give communities the word. How is, how is it being received? People from institutions that never talk to each other are are really talking to each other. You know, like the scientists are talking to the city officials. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Educators are talking to the scientists. And the and the county and and the public, you know, just members of just folks who, you know, work in the city in various service oriented fields, or you know, they're showing up and just curious about what's going to happen and why, and um, they want to be able to tell their families and can kids and can kids be involved? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think an adult for the for the volunteer photography piece it's complicated enough that probably it'd need to be like a parent or mm -hmm. adult 
kid pair. Right. Um, but absolutely, in that mentoring type of situation is always fantastic. I was thinking it's perfect for like, you know, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, that kind of thing. Like yeah, no, thing. absolutely. Where are you going to be and what are you going to be doing during the eclipse? I imagine you're going to be busy gal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. My family um, was trying to set up a family reunion during the <laughs> eclipse, like many families, and uh, and under the path of totality. Um, and then, and then I realized, you know, I'm part of this. I'm, I'm leading this mega movie project. I can't desert my team, so <laughs> I, I deserted my family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what's will you be in Oregon? Where are you going going to be traveling for it? So I will be in uh, Wyoming, in Dubois, in Dubois, I think, they, Dubois, Wyoming, and we'll be with the my the team, the Mega Movie team, a big chunk of us will be there, um, and we'll be taking photographs and experiencing it and getting ready to get the movie together. What if it's cloudy, Laura? I'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> I will, too. Nobody's saying that C word. It's like, no, we don't want to know about yeah. this. No, no, no kibosh. No, I'll pick myself up and I'll take pictures of the clouds and send them to the cloud folks who are, want my data from clouds. <laughs> are you going to be using this as sort of a beta test for the 2024? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, that is that is the plan for many of us on the on the team. Um, I think we'll have to prove ourselves to some degree, right? We'll, we really will have to come out with a movie that's uh, compelling and as well as have this beautiful archive. But absolutely, we're going to learn, you know, because this has never been done and we're going to learn so much. So we'll be able to take all that stuff we learn and apply it. Mm -hmm. I have a crazy question. Is this going to be in IMAX? How are you distributing this mega movie? Good is it question. just going to be yeah. streaming online? Will it be in theaters? Can you turn it into a Disney ride and walk on the sun with it? What's the uh, what's the distribution plan for it? Well, the distribution plan um, for the movie that comes out a couple um, hours later is it will be on the website for people to download. And then we really want news, you know, news organizations and education. I mean, really anyone to to be able to have access to that and use it in any way they they find useful. Um, and then I think, you know, we have a film documentary person on our team and he's been filming kind of, we've been working on this project for six years and he's been kind of filming the team. I mean, he has been filming the team and our meetings and going to different, he's an eclipse chaser already and he's been filming eclipses. And we're, we're also kind of looking for some additional funding for him to really produce a documentary about this whole process and the project. Um, so in my, in my big dream of, of how this all plays out, then there's kind of a, a behind-the-scenes movie that goes with all the movies that will get produced with the data. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been uh, very, very informative. Can you throw us the website one more time for people yeah. to go to to find information? Yeah. It's uh, eclipsemega.movie. And that will appear on our website when this uh, episode goes live. You'll be able to go to our podcast uh, landing page and all the information will be there. Laura, is there anything else you wanted to add that we didn't touch on? No, I just want to really thank you all for um, for this podcast and the opportunity to share this project and uh, share my passion for it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank great, you. Great, great stuff. 
All right, Laura, thanks again. Well, that's a wrap on another great show, and be sure to stick with B&H Explorer in the lead-up to the solar eclipse, as we will be publishing many articles and updates about this historic event, and of course, selling the gear you will need to safely view and record it. And with thanks to John Harris and Jason Tables, I'm Alan Weitz, and as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. <laughs>